The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. And welcome, welcome, welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show coming to you. If you want to join the conversation, go ahead and give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Let's get into a little clip before we start the conversation. Yet another sexual harassment scandal. Uh, the network has been forced to, dis- uh, to suspend host Eric Bowling after he allegedly sent pictures of his penis to female colleagues. Yeah, no, Fox News is taking these sexual harassment allegations very seriously and they've launched a full investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails. She, she has to be the person behind this. Um, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the norm to, for today's politics. If you are listening to the Leslie Marshall Show, you know we try to cut through and give you some of the real facts in a world that seems to have lost all sensibility. Um, and today, joining me in that pursuit of knowledge, facts, and information, three words that shouldn't be that rare, uh, none other than Anisha Singh. She is the campaign manager for Legal Progress here at the Center for American Progress and a newcomer to the show, but we welcome her nonetheless, Leah Parada. She is the Director of Government Affairs here at the Center for American Progress. Ladies, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Michelle. So I find that just having conversations about what an insane moment uh, we find ourselves living in, and, and not to minimize it, because there are serious threats to those of us who care about the Constitution and fairness and justice. Um, but it seems like every day this administration tries to out itself, um, to beat itself from the day before with just the ridiculous, horrible, mean things that they're doing. And so, Leah, I will start with you, because last week um, this administration seemed like it was on a mission to make America white again. And whether or not that meant talking about um, issues of around higher education and diversity and inclusion, or talking about um, the RAISE Act, which was announced last week, that would not look at illegal immigration, but look at legal immigration in this country. So Leah, you spent a lot of time on the Hill and worked at um, amazing places like Planned Parenthood. Tell us a little bit about kind of what this new pursuit from this administration is. Certainly, thanks Michelle. Well, you know, I listened to this video clip and it just reminded me of this very situation. Here we are. Uh, the Senate health care bill failed, um, even though the president tri- tried to bully uh, senators of his own party to move it through. And while he could be, you know, rejoicing that there's bipartisan bills to move uh, some sort of reforms to a health care system forward, instead, um, he brings senators that represent the far right. Uh, in Congress to introduce a bill that's going nowhere. Um, And that's pretty much where we're at these days. Uh, The RAISE Act actually does away with um, what is good and working about our immigration system. 
two-thirds of immigrants that come to this country come through family-based immigration, whether that is um, siblings, parents, um, uh, spouses. And so the RAISE Act would decimate the family immigration system as we know it. Um, it would mean that only us uh, spouses and children would be able to come to the United States. Um, and in a very real way, that means that many um, immigrants have become U.S. citizens that have become American in every way you can imagine can no longer bring um, their parents to the U.S. to spend time with their grand U.S. citizen grandchildren. Um, and that's just one way that we would look at this, but also it would de decimate the foundation uh, that immigrants find when they come to the U.S. Um, while they may be able to find jobs and be prosperous, having a family here really matters. Um, and it may affect dollars and cents in the short term, but in the long term, it affects economic growth, starting your own business, starting the next Google, et cetera. Well, you know, I, I actually, I think about when you talk about dollars and cents, um, that there are senators like Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio who have raised issues around kind of cutting legal immigration. And Anisha, I'll, I'll bring you into this conversation here. This RAISE Act to me um, speaks to this overall kind of bastardization of immigrants in this country, this um, way that we seem to talk about immigrants who have made up the fabric of this country for years and years in a way so that there's a, a, a negative narrative no matter who you are, whether now you're talking about legal immigration or illegal immigration, that this narrative of we don't want people who are different from us and the us being white men, um, we don't want you here. Absolutely. And when you have a policy platform that's built on hate, that's exactly what you see. You saw it with the Muslim ban. You're seeing it with this building the wall, Mexican immigrants. You're seeing it with the RAISE Act. You're seeing it with sanctuary cities. You're seeing it across the board where basically if you are the other, if you're not a white man, you are not important. We're seeing... Um, you know, mosques being bombed, and we're seeing, uh, you know, at least two a week uh, where mosques are being a uh, subject of uh, vandalism, and yet there's silence from this administration. But as soon as there is an opportunity to bring down and, and turn down and turn away uh, from people of color, we see this administration show up every single time. You know, and I, and I think what's fascinating about this moment for me is that if you talk to, you know, my white brothers and sisters who care about fairness and justice, they don't like what's happening either, right? So you wonder then who is this administration really speaking to? Who are they catering to? Um, most people see the value and understand the stories of who makes this country what it is, what who makes this country great. And yet we find ourselves in this situation um, that this administration does not seem to be paying attention and really speaking to the needs of all of its citizens. Leah. I think that's exactly right. I think that they have made a very cold calculation that in the short term, uh, this will return dividends with their most uh, narrow nativist base. But I think even with Stephen Miller's comments about how and Stephen Miller is a senior advisor <laughs> to the president um, and had this uh, press conference following the introduction of this bill 
and really went after a reporter when he asked him, you know, well, this goes against what America is about. And he said, oh, how cosmopolitan of you. Um, and that really speaks to what Anisha was saying about he the other. He said cosmopolitan, but he lives in a $1 million condo. That's exactly right. I don't think he's 30 yet in one of the most affluent sections of the city. It's like, you cannot make this stuff up with these <laughs> folks. It's like, are you serious, guy? Come on. Are you serious? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm sorry, Lee. I had to just jump in. And I know. Like, that's I, exactly I, on just point. Came out this today. is mind-blowing, yeah, really, the, yeah, the hypocrisy. Um, so if you are just joining us. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm in the studio with Anisha Singh and Leah Parada talking about the latest from the Trump administration. So Anisha, really quickly, and we're going to get ready to go to break in a second, but you mentioned kind of some of the work that Chicago recently coming out saying that they were going to actually sue this administration um, because they refused to go along with their anti-immigrant policies. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous how much this administration is trying to implement these broad stroke executive orders and policies to really, that would really hurt a lot of communities of color. And so it's it's admirable that the mayor of Chicago has come out and said, we're not going to accept that here. You know, we have communities who trust and believe in our law enforcement and the and the community trust that we are we're creating here. This would damage our communities and would set a terrible precedent for what could happen in the future. What what Where does this end? How, how far do we let this administration go to going into our local and state governments and telling them how to operate. Do you see kind of local and state action as kind of more um, relevant or more important facing this administration, Leo or Anisha? I think it's critical at this moment. I think it's, um, as we've seen with many states and including in the Muslim ban, it was the states that stopped um, this administration from moving the most heinous of their anti-immigrant policies. Um, and we've seen like um, mayors across cities institute policies that even made it so low-level offenses uh, or infractions, no long, uh, folks no longer had to present themselves in a courthouse because we have seen that ICE sits inside courthouses and preys upon folks just trying to show up and, you know, pay their traffic I mean, violation. we have this horrible story of a young man in Gaithersburg, Maryland, not far from where I'm from, who was um, going in to speak to ICE agents and telling them about the sco- soccer scholarship he had just received, and then they moved forward to deport him. And it's like, what, what are we doing? What kind of country are we? Well, let's have the conversation, and I want to have it with you. We're going to take a quick break on the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Michelle Michelle Jawanda. We'll be right back after the break. Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. And listen to this. Former communications director Anthony Scaramucci wants to turn his time in the White House into a sitcom. (laughs) Networks say it's impossible because sitcoms have to last at least 30 minutes. Ah, And we know some people don't make it quite that long. And welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. If you want to join in the conversation, follow us on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle with one L Jawando. I'm back in studio with my guest, Anisha Singh. She's the campaign manager of Legal Progress. You can find her on Twitter at Anisha, A-N-I-S-H-A underscore S-113. And Leah Parada, director of government affairs at CAP. You can find her on Twitter at 
L A L I A P R P A R A D A. Leah, we got to get you a shorter Twitter <laughs> handle. Uh, but we're we're so happy to be back with you. And Ishmael, I'm going to go to you in in one quick second. But I I do think the moment where we're in. I am actually really grateful that we have the comedians that we have now because I think they break the insanity so that we can actually point out how ridiculous this administration is. Ishmael from Manassas, welcome always to the Leslie Marshall Show. Thank you so much. I'm going to tell you a quick story. We had an ICE agent here in Manassas. He went to a restaurant, he ate a meal, and he came back later on and arrested the same lady that served him. Because oh you wanted to identify her. That's how cruel this is. You know, it, it, it's, it's terrible. But what I wanted to say is that father came from a country that doesn't speak English. Okay? And the reason why we have iPod right now and iPhone is because his father migrated from Syria, and now we have all this innovation. So it's really un-American. He's going to hurt this country more. 20% of the military, our family, our soldiers are, come from immigrant family. So it's, it's un-American to have this policy, and I hope it doesn't succeed. That's right. You know, I tell the story, my uh, brother-in-law is Serbian. Uh, my in-laws adopted him and is now serving in the United States Army. I'm so proud of him. But this administration would seek to cut off people like him who come over here to school or coming over here to serve. So, Leah, you know, as we think about Congress, um, you know, they're on uh, recess right now. What are you telling people how they should engage on these issues? I think uh, his story from Manassas really struck me. I um, grew up in Virginia. My family's from El Salvador. And, you know, I hate to think of how, if my parents hadn't become U.S. citizens, what their life would be like under the Trump administration. And a lot of us just don't have that luxury these days. Um, but when I think about Congress, they're back home. They were insulated when they were in D.C. and they felt that maybe the pressure that they were feeling was just at the national level. Uh, this is a time to have your members of Congress be, be accountable to what the Trump administration is doing and, of course, on the health care vote and many other issues to hold their members accountable through activities and, or just a plain conversation of, hey, how, how are you okay with what's going on these days? And Anisha, I know you've written a lot, you know, this past week, we recognize the anniversary of the shooting at Oak Creek. And yet even this weekend, there was an incident at a mosque in Minnesota. And yet, we have yet to hear from this administration. How do you particularly as you've been organizing in um, Muslim communities or the Masa community, and you should break down for our listeners what that is, how have you been engaging in this fight with this attack on immigration? Sure. So the Maza community, that's the Muslim, Arab, Sikh, South Asian communities, basically any communities that since 9-11 have fallen victim to post 9-11 discrimination, hate crimes, bullying, profiling um, because of the color of their skin, uh, because of Islamophobia, because of anti-Muslim bigotry. Um, and one of the things that we noticed right after the election was in the first week alone, there were over 700 uh, hate incidents that occurred. And since then, we've seen we've seen so many more. I mean, what has happened this past week um, at this mosque is just one example of the kinds of hate crimes that we've been seeing and hate incidents. Um, but what's so interesting is since that incident, Trump has maybe tweeted over 20 times, but not 
anything on this, but you know if it was a church, you know if it was a church that had white congregation uh, members, it would definitely be a different situation. He would take that opportunity to talk about national security, to talk about terrorism. Uh, but when the victims are people of color, um, it, it's, it always seems to be a different situation. And this goes back to what we were talking about before the break, which is the xenophobic agenda of this administration um, in every turn. And so when you have an, a president that you have chosen to, to represent those kind of values, you're going to see people of color and any issues that they face fall to the wayside and any issues that are faced by the white majority being what he focuses on and then using that to fear monger and, and, and rally his base. So we're getting close to the 2018 elections. How do um, people pay attention to this or make decisions about who they elect to represent them in Congress? What, what, what do you tell voters um, a little more than a year out from those elections, how they should be engaged on these issues? Leah, we'll start with you and Anisha. At a very basic level, I think any administration has to show what they've accomplished. And I think when it comes to Congress, they haven't accomplished anything besides the Supreme Court nomination, and they needed to change the rules to get that done. Um, and I, and even with his base or uh, the folks that you know the administration seeks to put against um, people of color, um, different minorities, they want to see something accomplished. Uh, so I think that's one of the clear benchmarks that this administration is going to have to face. And that comes at the real cost of them demonizing people. If they weren't demonizing all these communities, they might have time for a constructive approach. So as we look at 2018, I think the number one thing is going to be, what have you done for us? I think Leah hit it on the nail. I mean, we have seen them talk about for seven years how bad Obamacare was and then fail time and time again to come up with an alternative and spend so much time time just trying to um, combat everything that Obama did to advance this community and in, in this country, um, that you need to focus on who's actually making a difference right now, who's actually thinking about all the communities um, that are affected in this country, and who's actually thinking about uh, where, where ways to make it move forward. Um, and we're not seeing that right now with this administration or this Congress. And, and like Leah said, we need to be looking at you know the kind of judges that they're, they're, they're electing. We have to change the rules in order to confirm our Supreme Court justice. That's a problem. So. You heard it here, Anisha Singh and Leah Parada on the Leslie Marshall Show. Ladies, it was great to have you. Have to have you back. When we come back after the break, let's talk all things higher education. Betsy DeVos, or as some people I've heard say, Betsy, what a mess, Voss. We'll be right back after the break. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. It's a Friday. Donald Trump is on a 17-day vacation at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey. He's there to relax. No, you got to give it to him. He's there to relax after months of grueling golf at Mar-a-Lago. And welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you, and many thanks to our guests last segment, Anisha and Leah. Well, as we know, last week the Department of Justice announced that they were beginning an investigation looking at issues around race-based affirmative action, or as the Department of Justice calls it, intentional race-based discrimination in college and university admissions, but this time focusing on discrimination against white 
white and Asian students. What we many would characterize as an utterly wrongheaded uh, description would be an anathema to the Department of Justice that we saw under Attorney General Holder and Lynch. And yet we find ourselves in this new administration seeking to unpack issues um, that have long plagued us, but yet the Supreme Court has consistently held as moving in the right direction. Joining me to help break all of this down, none other than Blair L.M. Kelly, Ph.D. She is the Assistant Dean of Interdisciplinary Studies and International Programs and Associate Professor of History at North Carolina State University. You can find her on Twitter at P-R-O-F-Prof B-L-M-K-E-L-L-E-Y. Blair, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And joining us also, Tanya Clayhouse of Clayhouse Consulting. She is the chair of the National Bar Association Civil Rights Law Section and was formerly a senior uh, administration official at the Department of Education and Civil Rights. You can find her on Twitter at tclayhouse4. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michelle. It's a pleasure. So, Blair, let me start with you, because I think one something that is important to kind of contextualize um, is the fact that we've been having kind of these fights around affirmative action and kind of efforts from universities to create a more diverse and inclusive university system. Um, But the beginning and the origins of this work really started, I think most people would point back to kind of the Nixon era looking at advantages for white women and it has been kind of changed throughout the year but give us a little bit of background to just contextualize this fight today um, for me affirmative action uh, the roots of the need for affirmative action have to be traced to the history of segregation um, a time when blacks were um, not separated with his institutions of higher learning that were the most prestigious in the country, but really just barred from attendance and uh, most often pushed toward institutions that were designed just for black students, what we now call historically black colleges and universities. Um, and the a number of opportunities that black students had within the states in which they lived to participate in higher learning uh, was limited. Uh, with the end of segregation, that's when we see this move toward affirmative action. Uh, Johnson really is the first to sort of create the phraseology behind the policy. Um, it gets implemented in the late 1960s, early 1970s, and we finally start to see the effects of wide-scale inclusion of African Americans for the first time. Um, and around that same time in that same decade, at the close of the 1970s, we see the, the first widespread legal criticisms of the policy, uh, which begin to restrict the, the, the efforts to positively include um, people of color in ways that they had not been included before. So I think sometimes when we have these debates, we forget and forget to acknowledge this longer history of exclusion that went on for decades, mm. um, centuries even in preventing African-Americans from having full inclusion in these institutions. 
So, Tanya, I I appreciate that you spent time working in a very different administration um, that had a very <laughs> different commitment to issues of civil rights. And, you know, just reflecting on kind of what that was like to this moment, what has been the thing that has been most frustrating or disappointing as you look at this administration versus your time working in the Obama administration? No, I appreciate that, Michelle. You're right. It was a it's been whiplash, um, as I've been watching, and um, a lot of the, the things that we've worked upon so diligently um, come spiraling down because, from in my opinion, there's just a lack of appreciation, understanding, or caring about those who have been historically disadvantaged, um, those who do not look like um, those in the privileged uh, community, and particularly those who are in power right now in this administration. And, I, and I, I'm putting that bluntly because it's essentially what we're talking about. Um, you have an administration that is hostile now. There's a 180 that has been taken by this administration in terms of any effort um, to protect the rights of those uh, based upon the history that it was just outlined um, that has been encountered by you know, people of color students of color, and I think it's, you know, their, one of their first actions, which is, uh, which is actually indicative of the tone that this administration was setting, was that they eliminated a grant program, a puny $12 million grant program that we, that I worked on personally, that was created, uh, scrapped, you know, scrapped together with money that was not being used in order to support those districts across the country that were already engaged or wanted to engage in strategies to diversify their schools and classrooms. And we're talking about, this is the crux of the argument that we're talking about in terms of affirmative action, is about diversity and integration in schools and allowing that opportunity. And they eliminated that program even after people had already applied for this grant, $12 million. $12 million is not going to do anything significant for across the country other than give maybe 30 cents to every district. And their claim was that it could be used in better ways. But in fact, that they targeted that program, and that shows you the tone that they've had, the hostility that they have towards uh, these issues that we're talking about today. You know, I think was also interesting. I, um, this administration would kind of put forth this argument as if um, universities seeking um, to have greater diversity on the college campuses were doing something wrong. But in fact, the Supreme Court has consistently um, been on the side of those who recognize that factoring in the use of race, the Supreme Court said, yes, you can do, do that. And just last June, the Supreme Court again affirmed the use of race and admissions. And so you find yourself, these folks, you know, it's almost like they have a hard head. <laughs> they, they don't understand um, yep. that the law constitution is on our, our side. Blair, let me turn to you because something that you wrote, um, you know, Blair Kelly, she is the author of Right to Ride, Streetcar Boycott. Cots and African American Citizenship in the Era of Plessy v. Ferguson. 
And I think sometimes when we think about the kind of arc of this work, we we see it as this kind of moment. But I, I wonder if you can kind of put this moment of this administration, whether it's going after affirmative action or issues around immigration or even sessions at the Department of Justice, seems to intentionally be doing as much as he can to look at different segments of communities of color and group them under this kind of one category of these are people who were taking or or trying to hurt this country, and I'm here trying to protect us. How how can you help us to frame and better understand this moment? I think oftentimes um, there's an attempt to lull people into thinking that these moments are really about a zero-sum game, mm. that if we think about questions of race in a complex and historically informed way, um, we're missing the point. Really, this is about a white student losing an opportunity to a black student or a, a Latinx student. When really, um, that's not, it, the problem isn't that simple. The court has been adjudicating affirmative action for uh, decades now. And they've uh, created a, a, a complex system that universities are undertaking to, to, to factor in race as a single category among numerous categories about mm -hmm. place and high school and performance and scores and even things that if Americans really thought deeply about they wouldn't be comfortable with. There have been several articles written again in this cycle about the history of legacy admissions at elite institutions where the young people who are the children of parents who attended those institutions or grandparents or great-grandparents are given privileged admission. Um, we don't think about all the categories. We we are told to focus on this single one. Mm. Uh, we are told to focus on um, someone taking something that is due uh, to someone else in, in their imaginations, and it becomes a question of grievance rather than um, the, the notion um, that undergirds uh, the best ideas behind inclusion in this country at this time, that you aren't that smart or that educated if you're in a homogenous environment if you're not responding to different kinds of people who have different kinds of viewpoints from all different kinds of backgrounds, you're not as, as uh, well-educated as someone who is. And so uh, we're, this political moment is forcing, trying to force the American people to look at uh, the other, uh, the, the trans uh, service person who mm -hmm. is serving their mm -hmm. country, the affirmative action uh, candidate at a university, uh, the Latin, Latino or Latina person seeking inclusion and citizenship and uh, possibilities for their families, uh, they are told, uh, we are told that they're the problem that we have. Um, and, and actually, when we look at the, the, the things facing the world right now, uh, not really, uh, not really at all. And, right. and we need all uh, a diverse group of Americans to be um, focused on the challenges that we face in this new century. And so discluding people is, is from the old century. So Tanya, I think w one of the challenges in, in looking at this administration is whether or not you're talking about AG Sessions or even Betsy DeVos at the Department of Education, there is so much damage on these small programs that you, you mentioned you worked on directly while during your time at Ed. 
what are the things or the programs that you are particularly paying attention to that you see this administration beginning to undo? I don't want to give them any ideas, but but you know that they seem to have almost like a laundry list. And each week we find out about a new program or a new effort that they are reversing from the last administration. What are some things that we should be paying attention to um, that you're paying attention to that will maybe be reversals from the Obama era? Well, I think there's so many, and so I, I couldn't begin to go through the list. But <laughs> I think, in a nutshell, the, the biggest issue that I think really encompasses a lot of what we're talking about right now is the, uh, the, the there is a request for comment uh, that has been uh, advanced by this administration uh, to review all uh, regulations and guidance um, and determine whether or not they should be uh, repealed or uh, you know, redone um, by this administration. And there are comments that are due on August 14th to the Department of Justice and August 21st for, in the, to the Department of Education. And what this means is essentially the guidance, for example, that came out as a result of the Michigan cases and that was reiterated, reiterated through uh, the PICS, uh, Louisville and Seattle cases and the K-12 context, context and integration and segregation in schools. The use of race guidance that was issued by the Department of Justice and the Department of Education, that could be up for review. Mm. Um, essentially interpreting how colleges and universities and how K-12 institutions engage in the use of race in establishing either affirmative action programs or assignment plans, um, you know, within their, uh, within their program, within their college and university or within their schools and their district. And so that in and of itself is cause for alarm, in addition to all the additional regulations and guidance that was not just issued by this, you know, the Obama administration, where I work there, but also previous things that we know have been used in order to ensure that opportunities are afforded to students. And so that is what is, I think, particularly alarming, because we're looking at a rollback. Um, We know that there is a concerted attack, we believe, that is being, um, you know, put together by this administration on, on digital impact which we know is the standard that is used in order to ensure that we're, um, in, in order to protect the civil rights of students um, that are being discriminated against. Maybe. Um, and so that is, that is uh, what is particularly alarming, and I think that really does encompass a lot of what we're talking about here today in terms, not just programmatically, but, I mean, across the board uh, in terms of the damage that this administration could do. So, Blair, I wonder, you know, you have such an interesting um moment to be teaching the next generation, um, you know, and, and I wonder just what do you say to your students, kind of what is the sense on college campuses? I think many people, um, you know, even with some of my mentees or, or, or young people that I'm talking to, there's just such a sense of anxiety about what's happening. And I wonder how you deal with that in a classroom and, and how you're advising your students to look and deal with these issues. I mean, it's, it's interesting the degree to which this has been a long uh, thing facing black college students in um, who are not attending HBCUs in this mm-hmm. country. Um, I recall the debates that were going on when I was a student way back in the 90s um, <laughs> where there were uh, people challenging the place of black students on um, uh, PWI campuses around the country. Um, there, that fight has always been ongoing. 
And so um, the important thing to point out is for my students to understand the legacy that still recreate inequality, even though we don't live in a segregated, formally by law, segregated world anymore. But we do live with the legacies of segregation where some schools um, are less well-funded than others because of where people live, because of right. the tax base that informs how they are funded. Uh, we are replicating the inequalities of the past. And in some cases, in some communities, um, things are worse than they were uh, when the Brown decision was rendered. Mm. And, and very little has changed. So to, the idea that somehow uh, the legacies of race are over um, because the laws changed in the 1960s very formally, um, those inequalities uh, still undergird how they come to this place. So when you come to a place, a big state school like the one I teach at, um, you aren't all there on the same ground. Some of us have more privileges than, than others, not because we chose them out uh, necessarily, but because we, we, we live in, in, in our history. We swim in it. It's the water we swim in as one of my colleagues always says. And so I try to teach them about what's in the water. Mm. I try to teach them about uh, recognizing inequality and how, in the ways that they can address it amongst themselves and not look to each other um, as the scapegoat and blame, but rather um, the systemic challenges. How do, they, how do they begin to address them and where they'll work and where they'll live and, um, and the decisions that they will make as policymakers in the future? I can speak to you both all day and I cannot believe my time, but Blair and Blair Kelly, she is an assistant associate professor of history at North Carolina state, Tanya Clay house chair, MBA civil rights law. Thank you so much for being here. I will have you both back and I will be right back after the break with talk media news. Life, Liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall show. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. A lot of speculation about Vice President Mike Pence. Yeah, Vice President Mike Pence denies. He says he denies he's planning to run for president in 2020. Yeah, he said, I'm pretty sure I'll be president way before then. <laughs> All right, and welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show coming to you with Ellen Radnor of Talk Media News. Ellen, what is the latest and greatest on North Korea? Well, it's interesting because uh, earlier today, North Korea uh, was assessed that they actually have miniature nuclear weapons. Uh, and they are the people who are in South Korea and Japan are very, very concerned about it, as is the United States. However, Donald Trump, uh, President Trump, just made a statement to the press just a few minutes ago saying North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Uh, so we don't know what that means, uh, but we do know that uh, South Korea and Japan are very worried and upset. And we also know that the missiles at this point could probably reach Alaska, maybe even California. Oh, oh, and he still has that Twitter account. We need to somehow get and hold of it. he still has the Twitter account, but today it was the Word account. Uh, he just talked to the press, which is unusual in and of itself. But that is what he said when he uh, when he saw that. Then this was actually right before uh, the uh, roundtable on opioid addiction. Right. 
which he is having, at, at, which he had today, actually. Uh, Secretary Dr. Tom Price attended, Secretary of HHS. We also had the head of the Office of National Drug Control Policy attending, uh, another HHS person, Kellyanne Conway, of course, and uh, Jared Kushner, of course. Uh, he said in his statement, it's a tremendous problem in our country, and I hope we get it taken care of. But he then went to opioid overdose deaths. He said they've nearly quadrupled since 1999, which is true. It's a problem, the likes of which we've never seen. Meanwhile, the overall drug prosecutions have gone down in recent years. Then he talked about putting people more in jail. He said the average oh. for a drug offender decreased 20% from 2009 to 2016. During my campaign, I promised to fight this battle because as President of the United States, my greatest responsibility is protecting... Uh, and we'll have to end it there. But thank you, Ellen. Always great to speak with you. This is Michelle Jawanda, Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be back next time. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love. <laughs> 